Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Although powerful preaching, serving the poor, and missionary work often take the limelight in Christian ministry, the truth is that home groups, churches, and especially denominations will fall to pieces without competent and consistent administrators. The job isn't glitzy or glamorous, and it is often beset with equal parts of tedium, stress, and failure, but without it, nothing gets done, or at least not for long. Meet David Krogh, a faithful servant who has found himself in roles ranging from pastor to executive director in a denomination to academic dean of a Bible college. Over more than five decades of ministry, Krogh has been involved with countless decisions that have made the Church of God General Conference what it is today. Here now is episode 359, Faithfully Serving the Church of God with David Krogh. Well, David Croak, thank you so much for uh, talking with me today. I want to begin by asking the question, how did you first come to faith? About 150 years ago, a Church of God pastor... Oh, I thought you were going to say 150 <laughs> years ago you were born. <laughs> not, not, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. So uh, a Church of God pastor was traveling through uh, western Iowa and into Nebraska, where my... Uh, Grandparents had come over from Germany, taught the truths that we hold today, and they were baptized in 1868. They very much uh, were faithful Christians. Uh, Obviously, I didn't know them. My family has interviewed people who uh, did know them and said that they were very loving and kind people. They were generous people and really were people of the Bible. And so my grandmother was raised in that environment. She was the eighth of eight children. And uh, when she married, she uh, passed those truths on to her husband and his parents and brothers and sisters. And my father was born and uh, raised with the teachings of the Bible and went to the Bible training class, which was the forerunner of Oregon Bible College. And uh, graduated from there and pastored. So was that like a pastoral training? Yes, yes. It it was uh, in 1921 when our general conference was formed. One of their founding uh, principles was that we need to have an educational facility so that we can raise up pastors who will uh, help our churches. So I think that started in about 1923. My father, I think, went in uh, 29. He and a number of other people... Uh, went through the program and became pastors and lifelong friends. And my uh, father married uh, a girl who was attending our church in Oregon, Illinois, and uh, she had been familiar with our truths and was baptized in the in the Church of God. And so uh, I was raised in a home that uh, put God first and the Word first. And uh, I was taken to church uh, when I was probably a few days old and uh, was raised in it my whole life and that uh, I'm very thankful for that kind of a a family heritage but there have been many other people along the way who have uh, had an impact on my life uh, spiritually. I can think back to Sunday school teachers. Let me pause you right there. So you're saying that as far as your father 
was concerned that he he was a pastor when you were growing up the yes. whole time. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, okay. Yep. yep. Uh, keep going. Yeah. Right. Right after he uh, graduated from the Bible training class, he uh, took a pastorate in Ripley, Illinois, and okay. continued to serve until he died in. Uh, 1968. Okay. And, uh, so you grew up as a pastor's kid, and so then your uh, your spiritual formation occurred at uh, Sunday school? Is that what you were saying? That. Then as I got a little older, we had a youth program in our church, and I uh, attended the summer youth camps that uh, were sponsored by the General Conference, as well as my father was invited to speak at different conferences during the summer, and they usually had a Bible school that went along with that for kids, so sometimes I went to three or four Bible schools, three or four weeks of Bible school during the summer. So, What was your attitude towards the Bible as a kid? Were you just like really interested in it or just going with the flow or didn't really Yes, care? I was interested in it. My uh, parents modeled reading the Bible every day, and uh, in fact, we had a little devotions in, at breakfast every, every morning, and when I was old enough to read... I started reading at least a chapter a day, and there for a while I uh, actually read the whole Bible through uh, in a year's time uh, while I was growing up. So the uh, Bible was very important to me, and uh, church work and spiritual things were always of great interest to me. Okay, so uh, did you have some sort of moment where you made a a decision to— you know, make Jesus your Lord, or was it just always pretty much there? Well, I, I recognized that at some point I had to make a decision for myself. I couldn't just ride on the coattails of my parents and others in, in the church. And so uh, I was thinking about baptism, and one Sunday my uh, best friend and I were talking about that and decided that we were going to go forward at the end of the service. Well, my father didn't always give an invitation at the end of the service, but uh, my friend told his dad, and his dad told my dad uh, what we were talking about and thinking about, and so obviously my dad (laughs) gave the invitation that morning, and um, my best friend and I went forward and were baptized uh, later that day. Uh, Very good. So as you grew up and you had to choose a career path, uh, what did you decide on? For that in your educational years? Well, uh, I guess I kind of had it in the back of my mind the whole time growing up that I'd like to be a pastor and be involved in, in ministry. And uh, while I was going through high school, I, I was pretty good at math, and teachers really urged me to take as many math classes as possible, but that really wasn't my interest. I was more interested in uh, history and uh, uh, geography and, and some of those uh, types of courses, and the high school counselor took me aside and said, no, you, you, you really need to get into math field and use uh, the ability that you have. And I, I resisted that because I uh, had plans at that point to go to Oregon Bible College, and I didn't think that math was going to serve me very well there or in the ministry, and so uh, I held firm and graduated uh, with the kind of courses that I thought would be helpful to me. So you, you didn't end up pursuing math? No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> other, other than I really enjoy accounting and uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. working with numbers that way, but uh, yeah. not, uh, not as a career. 
Don't you do the taxes for a lot of pastors? Yes, that's uh, kind or of a service that we've offered to our constituents. Yes, yeah, I do about twenty some tax returns every spring. Wow! So and some uh, people struggle just to get their own done, and you do twenty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've tried to. Uh, keep current with the law, especially the ones that pertain to pastors, for my own purposes. And so uh, I have a real burden to uh, help our pastors pay as little tax as they are legally required to. Since most of our pastors are not paid very well, if they can uh, save on taxes, that uh, stretches uh, their income. So Yeah. All right. So back to college. Uh, when you graduated from high school, did you go straight to college or what did you do? Yes. Next? Yes, I did. I went to Oregon Bible College uh, in the fall after I graduated in the spring and uh, stayed there for four years. And uh, during, during those years, I had an opportunity to be involved in various ministry activities uh, sponsored by the college or local churches. And uh, Several of us uh, attempted to start a church about uh, 35 miles away in a small town where there were some Church of God families who uh, wanted to have a church closer to them so they could invite their friends. They didn't think their friends would drive 35 miles to uh, another church. and So gained some very valuable experience. And so you started church planning even before you graduated. Yeah, but, but <laughs> when I was a junior in high school, or I mean a junior in college, yeah. uh, act actually even before I went to the Bible College, I was a part of a planning uh, group to start a church in Grand Rapids. My father was pastoring a church in Grand Rapids at the time. He and several others had an interest in getting another church started in a needy part of town. And so I met for several sessions with the planning committee just because I had a, had a heart for, for church planting and reaching the lost, and eventually I pastored that church after I graduated from the college and uh, the Garden Park Church in Grand Rapids. And it's still there today. It's still there today. Mm -hmm. Bill Dunn, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bill Dunn yep. pastors yep. there. Good man. Yep. Church has done well. What was your college experience like back in those days? What, what, what years are we talking about here? Uh, 64 to 68. Okay. And just walk us through, like, what was it like being a student there? I had great respect for the instructors at the college and felt like they had a concern for me and uh, imparted Bible knowledge as well as sharing their faith and modeling what it means to be a, a servant of God. During that time, uh, I had a part-time job because my parents couldn't really afford to, to pay my college bills, and so I actually started working for the uh, conference at that time in the print shop. They owned, owned a print shop in Illinois and printed the Restitution Herald and Progress Journal and books and things like that. And so I uh, learned to uh, run a linotype which most people don't know what one of those is anymore. It's a, what is a linotype? <laughs> well, it's a, it has a keyboard, and uh, as you type the, the letters, uh, it goes, uh, it's a little uh, thingamabob that goes into a, into a row, and hot metal comes, and, and a little uh, slug-type thing is, is produced that has the type on it. And then you put those in a row on, on, a, on a flatbed, and... The press runs ink across that, and the paper. Out, out I've, I've comes heard a publication. About, I've heard about Gutenberg's uh, movable type. <laughs> well, but that, that's that's actually how we did the headlines, wow. the, the 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 titles of articles. We hand set that that type. Wow. But the linotype was uh, 
quite an invention when it came along to speed up the process of making uh, a whole row of type uh, by just typing on the keyboard. What was your impression of the Church of God at that period in the 60s when you were in school? Was it like a time of uh, growth or a time of stagnation or uh, were, were people optimistic or what was there great concern or what, what was the, the outlook at that time? Uh, all of the churches that my father pastored were growing churches. He, he had a real heart for lost people and felt there was a need for outreach and that the church really needed to, to be growing. And so I grew up seeing that as a model, and I guess that's where I really gained my uh, concern about church growth and discipling and evangelism. And so in general, I think there was a very positive attitude. Our general conference had what was called a decade of development from 1954 to 1964, where they actually set goals of starting new churches and trying to get each church to have goals of outreach and growth. That was an exciting time because uh, I'm not sure that we met all the goals and re reached all the goals, but a lot of progress was made just because that was held before our entire membership that we needed to be active in uh, growing the church, not just uh, being complacent and being with the status quo. Mm -hmm. And so after college, what was your first job? Fortunately, I was given several opportunities uh, for pastorates after after college. Mm -hmm. uh, the first approach that I received was from the Garden Park Church in Michigan, which is the one that I had had some hand in uh, trying to get started four years earlier. It so happened that the pastor who had um, served at that church uh, had decided to re resign, and actually he went to the Bible College to, to teach at the college, so that was an opening. Since, and who was that? Uh, Francis Burnett okay. was uh, the pastor at that new church and then went to Oregon. And so uh, I, because of my previous interest in the church and being familiar with Grand Rapids, having lived there, um, I went ahead and accepted that invitation. How long were you there? I was there for four years. Okay. However, my father died a couple of weeks after graduation, after I graduated, and uh, I went to the church where he was serving and uh, filled in for the summer to preach uh, until they found someone. They really urged me to, to take over the church, the Brush Creek Church in Ohio, but uh, I had really committed myself to Garden Park and didn't feel right about backing out on that, though it would have been very nice to have just stayed there and my mother would not have had to move and uproot her life, but uh, I really sensed that I'd made a commitment and I looked forward to actually working with a with a newer church. Brush Creek had been around for probably 75 or 80 years at that time, and it uh, wasn't quite the vibrancy and excitement in that church that uh, there was in Garden Park. So, Yeah, uh, so Brush Creek must have been founded in the 1800s. Yeah, it goes back, yeah. Yeah. So you ended up at, at Garden Park, and uh, you were there for four years. What happened next? Even when I was in 
uh, college, uh, the executive director of the conference, Harold Doan, had published a piece in the Progress Journal saying, if anyone has an interest in working for the college or conference at some point, let us know, and we're, we may be looking for somebody down the road, and we'd like to know of people's interest. So uh, I wrote a letter to him and said that at some point in my life I could see myself working at the conference in college because I had a real interest in that work. Since I had started attending General Conference when I was six months old, my parents always went to General Conference, and I developed a real keen interest in, in the conference. Maybe you could just describe what General Conference is, just for those yeah. who aren't familiar. Well, it's an association of uh, churches that believe like we do. There's about 100 churches in the conference, and they collaborate on uh, working together to sponsor the Bible College, as well as publications and coordinate missions and those types of things through the through the General Conference. And how? And I, I remember they. I, I attended the General Conference last year, mm-hmm. Uh, which you've been on my case to do for some time. <laughs> and I remember uh, that somebody mentioned ha- that you have been uh, going to these for a long time. What was the number of years that you've been going to the general well, conference? Uh, I'm 74, so I- I've been to 75 conferences because I uh, <laughs> went went to one before I was one. So, uh, And you're, uh, we're not counting in utero uh, attendance. Uh, no, we, we could add another one there. <laughs> Because I was born in December, so I actually attended the one uh, in August uh, before I was born. So, uh, so you've been to seventy-five of these meetings yep, yep, over the right. years, mm-hmm. and um, you wrote this letter and said, "Hey, I'd, I'd really like to participate. Yeah, yeah. I really believe in yeah. what the Church of God is doing, and uh, I'd like to help out." Right? How how did he receive that letter? Uh, he he was uh, glad to uh, get it and said, "Yeah, I'll put it in the file." And he said, "One of the things we really." like is for employees here to have had some pastoral experience so that they know what's going on in our churches and are sympathetic to the needs of pastors and members. And uh, so after you graduate, uh, we'd really like to see you take a pastorate and get some experience that way. I had an uncle who uh, was in the business management field. He he trained people uh, in management and uh, spent a lot of time talking to him and appreciated his, his uh life work, and uh, that also gave me an interest in, in managerial-type things and business uh, aspects of our work. And so uh, actually two years after I went to Garden Park, uh, I was invited to come on staff, and I really was not comfortable with that. I felt that I needed more, a little more experience. Also, I was in the middle of a program at a business college, which I thought would help me with my conference work, and so I declined that offer. And then two years later, they uh, made another offer and were a little more insistent that time that uh, they really needed me to come, and I did did respond at that point. And what was the role they were requesting you for? Well, I was in charge of the business office as the first uh, position that I had at the conference. And uh, during the time I was uh, there at the conference in the early uh, several years, I served as an interim pastor at several area churches that didn't have a pastor. Uh, The pastor of the Blessed Hope Church in Rockford had died, and they were looking for someone and didn't want to make a quick decision, and so I served for a year as an interim pastor driving 25 miles to the neighboring uh, city and, again, gained valuable experience and really enjoyed my work with that church. And then uh, the East Oregon Church uh, in the other side of the river in Oregon uh, lost their pastor, and so I 
took another nine-month uh, interim pastorate there. So I've uh, always been interested in local church work, and then when I wasn't pastoring those churches, I, my wife and I were very active in, in the Oregon church, and we uh, promoted evangelism and outreach and took part in training people to share their testimony and their faith. And my wife uh, started a junior church, and the church grew substantially during those years, and we really enjoyed our ministry there. So what happened next for you after you well, came on staff? Uh, yes, after I uh, served for several years in the business office, yeah. uh, the editor of the Restitution Herald retired, and mm-hmm. I was invited to serve as the editor, an interim editor, uh, because uh, I, I was informed that the board of directors was interested in me taking over the leadership of the General Conference as the executive director. Uh, Stan Ross, who was in that position, was in his upper 60s, and they weren't sure how long he would want to continue, and so my uh, editorship was an interim situation for a year. And then, unfortunately, uh, the president of the Bible College, John Lewis, was killed in an automobile accident, and oh, wow. uh, he and his wife and the academic, or not the academic dean, the student services dean, uh, were all killed. And uh, so I was asked to be an interim president of the Bible College for a year while they did a search to find a, a permanent replacement. What year was that? Uh, that would have been 79. Actually, before he died, I had been asked to become executive director, and Stan Ross was going to retire. But uh, because of the death of John Lewis, uh, Stan Ross agreed to stay on for another year, and I was asked to, to fill in at the college for a year. And then, so we have two positions we're talking about here. Executive yes, director is the coordinating the denomination, mm-hmm, right. and then the, the president, president is yes, coordinating the college. Yes, right. And uh, you have been slated to come in on the uh, conference side, but yes. instead, because right. of the tragedy, you came right. in on the college right. side. Right. Okay. So what, what happened next? So then at the end, end of that uh, interim year at the college, I did take over the work of the, the conference as executive director and uh, served for five years. And then at that point, there was a decision made to kind of combine the position of president of the conference and the president of the Bible College into one position. And I was asked to uh, assume that position in 1985 is when I took over as the combined uh, positions. The president of the Bible College had also resigned at that time, and so... So did you say five years you were executive director? Yes, uh-huh. and then from 80 to 85. 80 to 85, and, and then, then you 80, took over both. Yes, in 85. And how long did you do that? Until 2001, so... <laughs> It's well, a long time. Six, 16 years. Uh, uh, 16 sir. years being in charge of not right. only the uh, conference, but also the Bible college. Right. Now, that's that's an interesting period. So it's really your, that was really your call, I'm guessing, to move down here to Georgia. Was that your idea, or what was your role in well, that whole 1990s? Uh, actually, move? dating back uh, to the 60s and 70s, there had been talk of moving into a, a larger metropolitan area where our students would have more opportunities to be involved in ministry. Because Oregon, Illinois yes, is a town of 3,000 people. Very rural. And, uh, very rural okay, and yeah. uh, all white, and uh, uh, recognizing the needs of our world and uh, even our country, more momentum seemed to be generating to relocate. So it had been talked about for almost 20 years 
the board of directors appointed a committee made up of several of us staff members to begin to do research and uh, explore a, a number of cities uh, as, as possible uh, locations. And so our team used resources to, to gather information on growth of cities and what their racial mix makeup was. And uh, one, one, one of our goals also was to locate the college next to a community college or a state university where our students could get their general education courses there uh, and they would just uh, focus on the Bible and ministry at, at the Bible College, uh, trying to have a staff adequately prepared and uh, have education to teach a wide range of uh, general education courses just was not feasible. Right, and, and, and really unnecessary if yeah, you did yeah, have right. another du- college duplicate. campus yeah. nearby. Yeah. You were then pushing for this. Yes, absolutely. You were, you were part of the... Absolutely. And I'm sure there were some people that were pushing against it, saying, you absolutely. guys are crazy, a- don't do a- this, absolutely. it's too risky, it's never yes. going to work. Right, yes. This uh, decision period, I'm sure, took some time for it was, everyone to... Agree. Yeah, about about eighty five or eighty six, just right after I had taken over the two positions, is, is when things really began to gel, and of course we didn't make the move till ninety one. So okay. uh, during that whole time, uh, we gathered information, began to make the case to our membership that this was something that would really enhance our work, would uh, be be a real blessing. You're right. There was strong, strong opposition. Oh, there always is. From, uh, <laughs> yeah, for, uh, and especially for a major thing yeah. like this. We had been located uh, in, the Midwest, in the Midwest and, and in Oregon, Illinois, and you're looking since to move 1921. To the southeast. I mean, it's a well, totally different well, part of Well, of course, country. that decision hadn't been made at that point to move to the southeast. Uh, uh, and, uh, I mean, in, in the process, we were looking at, we, we, we finally narrowed it down to five metropolitan areas. Well, do you remember the five? Uh, one was uh, Kansas City, Kansas, or Missouri. Uh, one was near Chicago. Uh, one was in Columbus, uh, Ohio, uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Why did they pick Atlanta, Georgia? Well, we, we did intense research. We, our, our team actually traveled to all five of those places. We looked for the college that we could locate next to. And in finding that college, our real desire was to be close enough that our students could walk from our campus to theirs. So that transportation and uh, time spent going back and forth would be minimal. So we, we went to colleges. We looked to see if there was land adjacent. We had real estate people working with us. Uh, we obviously were concerned about the cost of living for our staff and uh, just just the whole environment of, of where we thought would, would be best to train our students. And so after we had done all the research on those five cities, we uh, presented that to the board of directors. We basically uh, recommended Atlanta, but it was their call. They unanimously uh, supported that choice. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the real work began of, of um, pulling that off. And uh, we, we found land here adjacent to uh, Clayton State University, a 12-and-a-half-acre plot, and we negotiated and were able to, to buy that piece of property. And then, of course, we had the process of designing the buildings to be on that property as well as trying to sell the properties that we had in Oregon, Illinois, in addition to three, actually four uh, buildings, main college buildings there, we also owned five houses that we had been 
begin to acquire in the areas surrounding the campus yeah. for future expansion. And in fact, students and staff lived in those houses once we bought them, and, and the uh, the rents that we collected were, were paying for those houses. So Now, were it, you concerned about teachers being willing and staffers being willing to move all the way across the country? <laughs> well, obviously, we included them in all of the planning, even though there were just five of us on the, on the uh, relocation team. Uh, we kept them informed. We discussed options. And, of course, the board and I tried to determine what our needs would be in the, in the new location. We just didn't feel like we could move every employee. And, of course, a lot of them didn't, didn't want to move just because they had spouses uh, who had good jobs in the area. So secretaries and uh, support staff generally were not interested in moving. But we did talk with all, all of the key uh, instructors and they all were very supportive of the move and even though it meant a lot of disruption for them and them having to sell homes and their spouses giving up jobs yeah. they, they were willing to make that sacrifice because they all recognized that uh, the future was unfortunately not in a little town of 3,000 people and Wow, uh, the attendance had continued to decline at the college, and it was just hard to get students to come there. It was hard for them to find meaningful employment, and then of course we still had the general education issue of how to how to deliver mm -hmm. those courses. Wow, it seems like uh, quite a step of faith this whole period was yeah, to, to move was. all the way down. Uh, so looking back on it thirty years later, do you think it was the right decision? Do you have regrets about it, or what, what would you say about it today, looking back? Well, that's a good question, and recently I was asked to make a presentation at the Heritage Conference on the, the steps of relocation and then looking at where we are today and whether it was a good move. And <laughs> I 100% uh, believe that it was, it was a good decision. It was worth the stress and the pain of uh, physically moving the whole operation here and feel that we are much, much further ahead in our ministry and in our mission work and the Korean extension that we have. Uh, none of that we really could fully envision from Oregon, Illinois. We just knew that we needed to make changes that would open doors that we were, were definitely close to us there. Do you happen to know the numbers for the Korean extension this uh, it's, it's a little over 50. A little over 50 uh, at, more. At, at one point, it was yeah. closer to 100, but then we had some difficulties with immigration approving our uh, recertification, and that kind of discouraged some students from coming. But it yeah. gradually is building back up. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. So you were the executive director for 21 years. Right. And then the president for 16. Yes, right. And then in 2001, what happened? You uh, you got uh, in trouble and you got fired? No, well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you, you there, stepped down or? there, there was a, a, a study made of <clears throat> where we were going. Uh, the board of directors did feel there was it was time for a change in leadership. And so said that they were going to go in a new direction. And uh, I was invited to stay on for a year during the transition. And if the new president wanted to keep me on afterward. They were fine with that and encouraged me to do that, but th there were no promises. And, okay. uh, and who who was the next guy? Was it Brian uh, Tim, Atra? Tim, Tim Jones be became the the head, the, Wasn't the, Brian the chief Atra? administrative officer, and then Brian was also hired then as president. 
Oh, so, so they, so they went back to went two back. positions. Yes. Okay. And another piece of the mix is that uh, Rock River College in, in Bloit, Wisconsin, was being formed at that time. And so Brian Atcher was asked to serve as kind of the president of both of those entities and do a lot of the teaching. Well, it's hard the, to be in charge of one institution in Wisconsin, you said, uh-huh, uh-huh, and then yeah, also in here. Georgia yeah, at the same right. time. How? Well, it, it, it didn't work, fr- right. frankly, and in fact, Brian didn't leave, live in either of those places. He lived in Missouri. Ah, so, so, so he's in a whole other place. Constantly huh. traveling and the wow. expense of that and not being at either location for very long. Obviously, somebody had to make decisions and carry right. things on. You can't just wait three or four weeks until somebody shows up to deal with issues. So so Tim so, Jones was the executive director. Brian Atcher was kind of the, the commuting mm-hmm. in president, a sense. Right. Um, right. And what was your role during this early 2000s period? Uh, I was asked to assume the role of registrar of the college. Okay, so that's and when you started at, as registrar. At that time... Uh, Kent Ross was also dismissed from from the faculty, and so that opened. Uh, he, he was doing a lot of the registrars and and uh, uh, academic work, and so uh, I was asked to do that. But during the two or three years, I basically continued with many of the things that I had done before as president, just because I knew how to do them. And Tim Jones was uh, trying to get up to speed with uh, understanding what the organization was uh, doing and had his agenda of things he wanted to pursue. And so um, there, was, there was not a lot of change. I, I continued to uh, So you're still doing th- the same kind of work. It's just mm-hmm. yeah. somebody With else it. is getting the title. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. And, and making the final decisions. And, yeah. And huh. uh, I was able to make that transition uh, and enjoyed uh, not having the, the, the stress of, of uh, having responsibility for everything and then eventually brian atra I, I know i came in 2003 and i remember seeing him in the the that lobby area and i remember yeah. he was he was on his way out so i don't know if he, it was in 2003 that he he stopped serving Is Pro- that? probably it was, all i yes. remember was tim jones yes right and right. i think he was both yes so so it yeah, got so merged it back, back there was kind of an experiment okay. for uh, that two or three year yeah. period to see if it would work and it didn't and it hadn't really worked before when when there were two heads of two organizations that were working so closely together uh, there was nobody to make final decisions and each the general conference had its desires and needs the college had its and so there developed between the two staffs a uh, competition for money and resources right. and uh, who's So in who, your estimation <clears throat> it's better to have one person doing both? Yeah, because, because of the small size of our organization and with uh, competent help, the head can accomplish both things while making sure there's unity and coordination because uh, obviously our students uh, need to be supportive of the, the general conference and know what it's about and how uh, the conference works in terms of when they get out to be pastors. And uh, so very, very big need for collaboration. Interesting. So you were registrar then for, what, 20, Well, 15, Joe, Joe 20 Martin uh, at that point was a made academic dean. <clears throat> and then when he became, acad- uh, became president in 2010, 
then I was I became academic dean and, as but well. You were still as the a registrar. registrar. Yes, right. right. Okay. Uh, so those so two you, positions were. But combined. you started at, as a registrar in two thousand one. One mm-hmm. and when uh-huh. when did uh, and then two thousand ten was when uh, Joe became uh-huh. president. And, but you uh, stepped down last year as registrar officially. Uh, the, this last fall, Michael Sisler was hired to be the academic dean and the registrar. So you're so you did eighteen years as registrar. Uh, from two thousand, yes, right. Mm-hmm. I'm just and, trying to work. Yes, out the yes numbers. right, right. And, and uh, <laughs> this is recent nine, history. Nine now. Yeah. as uh, yeah. as uh, academic dean. Uh, yeah, so eighteen as registrar, yeah. and then yeah. nine as academic yeah. dean, right. uh, carrying uh, both of those responsibilities right. Uh, right. overlapping. Right. One of the things that I saw when I was here and uh, since then was your uh, your passion for international students and uh, all that you did to, to bring ash- international students mm-hmm. into the college. Can you talk about that, how you got that started and why th- that was so important to you? Well, once uh, I, I was the one that took us through the steps of being recognized by immigration uh, to have international students here. And, and what and year was that about? That was uh, 2001. 2001. And so okay. it was about the so time. So as soon as you a, a, transitioned well, to that registrar. Well, actually it was in the works before okay. I was replaced as, as president. I got you. And uh, Steve Ahn had been a student at the college and began to talk about we, we really need to do something to train people who, who speak Korean. And here's a, a field where outreach uh, can be done. We applied to immigration, got permission to have international students. And so the initial international students were, were Koreans, but word began to spread that we, we were eligible for international students, and there are so many uh, people of other countries who live in the Atlanta area that they became aware uh, right, of the college. the airport. Yeah, yeah. right. And, uh, and, and there are big communities of, of uh, other nationalities and, and religions in, right. in the Atlanta area. There's a big Hindu community on the east side of Atlanta and the Korean community up in uh, Johns Creek and, and that area. There's 100,000 people of Korean descent and all the stores have Korean food in them and signs on the doors and that began, the word of mouth began to spread and so we began to receive applications from international students and uh, some of them were able to get visas, some were not. But we were glad to serve them and uh, have uh, really enjoyed and benefited from them being here. Some have stayed on and become part of the Church of God. Others have learned what we teach but did not necessarily uh, join our, our movement. Right. Uh, and and this, this is something that took a significant amount of your time over the years, dealing with all the red tape and the bureaucracy and right. the complications of right. You know, because because we students. actually got in uh, right before 9/11, and then once that happened, then all the regulations and everything began to come into play. Actually, before 9/11, everything was done pretty much with paper and pencil uh, uh-huh. to fill out applications and all that stuff. And of course, once uh, 9/11 happened, immigration really tightened up things and put things online, and uh, the the checkpoints where people had to jump through certain hoops. And so that has been a, a time-consuming uh, process of making all that happen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, do, you, do you have any idea how many students came through during those years that you were as a registrar, uh, inter- international uh, students? Oh, international students. Um, any idea yeah. of how many different countries you worked with? Probably or? six or eight countries. Like and, what, what uh, countries are we talking about here? 
Well, uh, we had some from Bermuda and the Bahamas, and then primarily African countries, Kenya. Actually, we had some from South Africa, one from Moldova. Well, we had several students from there, and you had Ghana. Not, yeah, Ghana right. Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah. and Nigeria. Nigeria yeah, yeah, for right. sure. Yeah, so yeah. a few Nigerians. Yep, uh, Cameroon. Yes. Elizabeth Egbe, right. yes. remember her? Uh -huh. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's been a, a number of different countries, yeah. uh, especially especially African countries, right. which, which I think is great. You yeah. know, to have that kind of diversity. I have some some interesting memories of attending the Atlanta Bible College in those early 2000s, where I got a real interesting mix in the classroom. Mm -hmm. We'd have other just like Midwestern white people from the Church <laughs> of God or from the Carolinas or something, and then you'd have community students from the local, the, the town at that time was uh, Morrow, uh, that area mm -hmm. uh, outside of Atlanta, and uh, they tended to be black folks and uh, older and like... Uh, already had established their jobs and everything right. else in their lives, and now they're coming as like night right. night students. Right. And then you had all these like random foreigners from other countries <laughs> sitting in the classroom, right? Yeah. Whether the uh, and when I attended, also the Koreans were using yes. the uh, same campus right. as as uh, the English speaking. So uh, it was a real whirlwind of uh, cultural diversity, which I think yeah. is really really helpful if you want to be. A Christian leader today that you have the world on your heart, not just your own, sure. you know, local village or whatever. Yep. This this leads into the whole subject of missions as well, mm -hmm. because I know that you have been very involved at LHI Lord's Harvest International, which is the missionary wing of the Church of God. Yep. Um, when did your involvement with them start, and uh, what was that like over the years? Uh, I was appointed by the board of directors to be on the mission board, I think, in about 2002, and served in that position for about 17 years. And uh, during that time, uh, our mission board was responsible, of course, for raising funds for mission projects, and uh, we approved uh, mission trips and uh, helped uh, get people signed up for those and to raise the funds to go. Our, our work did expand uh, to other countries during that time. Uh, the work in Pakistan was, was opened up. Uh, I think uh, Haiti was just beginning to be connected with us in the early 2000s. Our work in Peru had been kind of touch and go for a while, and we began to uh, be more regular in sending people down there for training classes and preaching and uh, evangelistic work, and that work uh, has, has really grown over the years to uh, include more churches in different parts of the country. Uh, we did have some contacts in Uruguay and uh, Ecuador and some other countries, so uh, our mission board usually met in person once a year, but we spent a lot of time on the phone and by email to oversee these fields and to encourage the, the native workers, and of course the work in Russia really opened up during that time also. And uh, Africa as well, right? Yes, absolutely. That was, that that was already in place at that time. Yeah, right? it, it had started, yes. It had already started yes, at that right. time? But, uh, in Malawi and Mozambique yeah, in particular. Right. And, but well, the work first in just, Kenya. First and, just Malawi. Yes, right. And then Mozambique. And then, Mozambique, and then Kenya. And then, uh, Tanzania and, now, and Kenya. Yeah. 
Uh, and now, what's that one next next to Uganda? U- Uganda, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Lord's Harvest International has really grown in the last twenty years, wouldn't you say? Tremendously, yeah, yeah. Right. So that, that must be gratifying to it see is. that. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, you yourself were involved in the trip to Peru, right? Yeah, I made twelve trips there uh, over over the years. Bill Wattell was fluent in Spanish and. Uh, went on a lot of those and did most of the teaching and preaching. My Spanish is not very good, but uh, he needed help with logistics, and uh, that work has now been turned over to others. And uh, I did take a team to Haiti, and we also did an exploration trip to uh, Thailand at one point. It looked like there was an opportunity to work with some orphanages and some needy people there, but uh, that didn't didn't really materialize. Very good. Uh, my wife told me that it was very, very important that I ask you about chocolate. Uh-huh. And uh, I, of course, remember very fondly uh, your chocolate parties. Uh, what What is the story with that? Were you just always a chocolate guy, or is that something that <laughs> yeah. you, got, you got it to later? <laughs> I remember you would have these chocolate parties, and you have all the students, and you'd have all these other random people and your house would be full of people and and you'd say to pe- you'd give you give us a to-go box and say eat as much as you want take as much as you want and there was still so much more yeah uh, so uh talk about that a little bit well I, i've always liked chocolate but 20 some years ago my family took me to uh, a restaurant and they had a death by chocolate dessert and uh i just thought i'd try that and uh enjoyed that and so Somehow that name stuck, and I decided that uh, I'd throw a little party uh, with chocolate dishes and invite the students and staff over. And so I probably started off with 10 or 12 uh, desserts, uh, all made of chocolate, and put them around the house in different places, and people could, could uh, sample them. Uh, over the years, uh, it grew to 40 or 50 desserts that I was making. And, and how many uh, days off of well, work were you I, were just... It got to the place I had to almost take a week off because uh, <laughs> th- there just wasn't enough time at home at night wow. when I got home to, to bake that many things. So uh, I did that for 16 years. Yeah. And finally, uh, the, the uh, thought of doing it again... It was just uh, too it, much, it huh? was It was too much. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I've had people ask me to resume it, and I've well, it was legendary. Let me to. tell you, it was legendary. And, well, uh, I heard that it was on somebody's bucket list, and that's why I really did the sixteenth year. I was going to stop at fifteen, but uh-huh. some people said, "Oh, but this is on my bucket list, and if you don't do it, <laughs> I know, won't be able to." Yeah, I'll just have to die with an empty <laughs> hole in my heart, having never attended a David Krogh Death so, by Chocolate so I did party. It one- did it one um, more time. Yeah, I think chocolate is good for evangelism, <laughs> wouldn't you say? Uh, you have you Amen. have a, a a practice also of making chocolate fresh chocolate chip cookies for first time visitors, visitors to your center. church, yep. right? Yep. You for still sure. do that? Yes. So how many years have you done that? Probably uh, since uh, the nineties. Twenty five. Twenty five yeah, yeah, years. You've been started, doing that. Started the oh. church in ninety four, oh. and the first Sunday, of course. Uh, we had about a hundred visitors, so uh, yeah, that's a lot of visitors. I, I had been baking a lot that week as well. My practice is normally, if we have visitors on Sunday morning, to go home from church and bake some cookies and deliver them yet that day, and uh, that's that's impressed a lot of people that someone would show up on their doorstep the same day that they visited the church, and uh, feel like some people have stuck and come back because of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you got to use whatever you can to. 
show love and hospitality to people and yep. man that's making an impression it really yep. is yep. you know it's personal it's individual very good well let me ask you this if you could snap your fingers and change one thing in uh, the church of god today what would it be well, because of my interest in evangelism, I wish that more of our people were concerned about that and uh, were doing things specifically designed to reach out beyond the church and make an impact on people's lives. And that has been probably my greatest disappointment that more has not happened. Uh, one, of, one of my real goals as the head of the organization was to, to plant uh, a bunch of new churches. and. We actually planted about 75 churches during the time that I was uh, uh, executive director and then president. We lost almost that many churches during that same period of time, but my thought is uh, we would have been dead if if we had not uh, planted new churches. And so we, we know that the life cycle of churches is they're born and they grow and then sometimes they die. And uh, as painful as that is, that, that's a fact of life. So uh, there, there's a need to constantly be starting new churches. There are new opportunities that arise. And uh, there seems to be a much greater vibrancy in new churches than some of the uh, old churches. And that's not to... Especially not for to outreach. Criti- yeah, not yeah. to criticize the old churches, but uh, uh, there, there, there's just a, a momentum and, and excitement that is, is contagious. And younger churches seem to grow faster and better than than older churches and so yeah. so you're so you're a strong advocate for church planting absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. and so my wife and i were involved in in two church plants here uh the the one when we first came down in 91 and then we were part of the cornerstone team in 94 and we'd sort of hope to keep doing that but uh that hasn't particularly happened here other people have kind of picked up the ball and other other new churches have started what would you say would be your biggest regret I think I spent too much time in my office and maybe not as much time with, with students to mentor them and uh, uh, share, share my heart with them and vision. And uh, so I, I think I would have either hired more support staff to take care of some of the uh, nitty-gritty d- details and spent more time with people. I did a fair amount of travel to our churches, but that's also something that I think is really important for our staff here to to be out w- with the people and to see what's going on in, in local churches and encourage those people and uh, support them any way we can. So, very good. So last year you retired, or what? How do you? How would you describe your well, transition? Well, uh, our, our staff has continued to kind of shrink o- over the past uh, ten years and. Uh, the board recognized the need for succession planning and uh, had talked to Seth about knowing that at some point I'm not going to be able to be here and continue with all the things I was doing and to bring in uh, a younger person who I could mentor for a while and uh, teach things about the job. And uh, so I was very supportive of Michael Sisler being employed he and I see things very much alike. We're both kind of the same personality, and uh, he's been a quick learner, and it's been a joy to, to work with him. 
but uh, I'm, I'm still continuing more perhaps with general conference type ministries now than so much with the college, even though I do still teach a couple classes each semester at the college and uh, involved with finances and scholarships and things like that. Seth has just assigned me some other uh, duties uh, with the general conference. I've been appointed to the Ministerial Recognition Board, which uh, oversees the licensing of our pastors. It's always been required to have a staff member be a part of that, and so uh, I'm serving in that role. Though I'm not on the LHI board, I'm still the liaison between our staff and the board to facilitate the transfer of funds and to make sure that the record keeping and all that is, is correct, as well as assisting with making sure mailings go out and things like that. So uh, you're, stu- you're still full-time then? Yes, I am. Uh-huh. Do, you ha- do you have a title now, or are you just general uh, uh, administrative? Special projects. Special we, projects. We, yes, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which that, that can catch just about anything. <laughs> and uh, I've always had an interest in the Minister's Retirement Association, and I'm a trustee of that. And we keep trying to do some innovative things to make our retirement program better. And so I have, I have a lot of those uh, interests. I've been involved in planning our summer hundredth general conference this summer and uh, i'm on the history committee that plans the heritage conference right. and so my connections here with uh, with the archives and everything has been valuable too but you don't have to keep track of all the students anymore right well that my, must my, be a relief it is it is <laughs> and michael is chasing taking over. them down for payment <laughs> and chasing the teachers down for grades and all that man what a relief you know? right yeah, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and you're going to stay on for quite some time, right? Or do you have... Well, I, I have no to plans retire? to retire. Uh, Seth Ross said that I could keep working here till I'm 95 if I wanted to. So I have a few more years. And uh, Yeah, you got plenty uh, of time. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? As long as my health uh, is good and I have my mental capacities, I would like to keep working. And maybe I'll cut back a little bit at some point mm-hmm. and not work a... 45-hour week, but uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> so uh, any, anything else you'd like to say just by way of closing? I uh, feel that God has blessed me immensely with being raised in a Christian home and having the opportunity to serve in so many ways and knowing so many uh, wonderful people. And uh, I just feel like I'm extremely privileged to have lived the life that I have and that he's given me the health to to uh, continue to do it and uh, to see the fruits of some of my labors. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you. Well, that's it for this interview. If you'd like to find out more about David Krogh, you can visit atlantabiblecollege.com and check the staff page for contact information. You can check out the denominational webpage at coggc, that's C-O-G-G-C dot O-R-G. And you can take a look at the missionary organization that Krogh is very involved with called the Lord's Harvest International at lhicog.com. If you'd like to make any comments or ask any questions about this interview, just come on to restitutio.org and find episode 359, Faithfully Serving the Church of God with David Krogh, and leave your comment there. Also, I wanted to plug the Salt and Light Study Night online fellowship. If you're looking for fellowship, you don't have somebody near you, and you'd like to join one that's online, a few people from the Restitutio community have started this uh, fellowship just recently. They're in the book of James right now, 
And it's 8 o'clock on Tuesday nights, Eastern Standard Time. And that's 5 o'clock West Coast time. So if you are interested in joining Salt and Light Study Night, uh, which is this this uh, online meeting, Zoom meeting, Tuesday nights, uh, you can contact them at salt.light.studynight at gmail.com. And uh, they'll send you the link so you can uh, join in and get some fellowship. It's really important, according to Hebrews 10, that we don't forsake the gathering together. Uh, in our current time, that's more difficult than it has been in the past. Uh, but when it comes to an online fellowship, I mean, it's just as easy as it gets. It's really cool to see people from different places in the country that are able to join in and, and get supported, get prayed for, and uh, study the Bible together. So I encourage you to check that out if you're interested. Saltlightstudynight at gmail.com is the email. Just ask them for the Zoom link, and uh, that's Tuesday nights. Also, I wanted to share with you some good news about the rating for Restitutio. I know I was kind of dogging you guys to leave customer reviews, but we have just now tipped the scales to 4.9. We were at 4.8 for a long time because a couple of people had left one-star ratings and, and a two-star rating. And so now there have been enough five-star ratings to get to uh, 4.9. And so I just want to thank all of you who, uh, whether you wrote a review or not, gave that five stars. Uh, there's 87 ratings so far, and it's really helpful because, let's face it, there are people that are not going to like the kinds of positions that I hold and that people on this show hold as far as doctrine, as far as Christian living. And uh, so it's inevitable that I'm going to have criticizers and and people that come on to try to tank the rating. But I'm real thankful that so many of you have uh, taken the time to do it. I know it's annoying, but I do appreciate it. So I just wanted to mention that and say thank you so much. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you can do that online at restitutio.org. I'll see you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.